morning we're starting a series um, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned to you a few weeks ago when we started our series on women, I told you that at the beginning of this year, um, I really felt like the Lord had showed me the two greatest hindrances um, to the, the church being what the church has been called to be or could be is uh, two things. One, the misunderstanding or the, the maybe lack of understanding of the role of women in the body of Christ. And how over the years, because we have limited the role of women in a way that I don't believe Scripture teaches us, um, we've actually hindered what God wants to do in the body of Christ. And so we, wa- we walked through all of that. We spent four weeks on that. And today, we're going to start a, the second part of that, um, the role of the Holy Spirit. I believe, probably even more so than the way that, that the under- misunderstanding of women in ministry has hindered the church, the misunderstanding of the work of the Spirit has hindered the church. We have got to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, he did, if he is misunderstood or if he is ignored or if he is quenched in our lives, it is going to hinder what God wants to do in our lives, in our city, in our church. We have got to understand the role of the Holy Spirit because we cannot do this without him. And so we're going to look at what, it, what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in our lives, excuse me, what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in a corporate setting, and uh, we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. I listened to, <clears throat> excuse me, a series uh, on the Holy Spirit by a man by the name of Brian Jarrett. He's a pastor in Texas. And um, as I listened to it earlier uh, this year, or late last year, I can't remember which, uh, he did such a phenomenal job of teaching on the Holy Spirit that I, I literally just stole what he had put together. Now, I, I, I had to repackage it. I had to make it applicable to us. <clears throat> And I had to like um, maybe make it my own, if you will. And so the majority of what I'm going to share with you is what he shared with me. And uh, we're going to take this journey through uh, the work of the Holy Spirit together over these next five weeks. But I want to, number one, just give him credit because uh, he kind of did the work. He opened it up in my heart. And I pray that the, what, what happened in my life will happen in your life over these next five weeks as well. And so I hope to cover um, things like what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I hope to cover this, what is the, the phenomena of speaking in other tongues and is that for today and are the gifts of miracles and the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy, are they for today? And if they are for today, uh, how do they operate? What do they look like in our lives? What do they look like in a corporate setting? Because Many of us have grown up in settings where the Holy Spirit was not understood or was, was taught against in this realm. Not uh, altogether, but in the gifts of miracles. Uh, that has been preached against and taught against. And so some of us have this misunderstanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because of that. And so I hope to walk through these passages of Scripture and help it make sense to us. And so I hope that this journey uh, really unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem with discussing the things of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is not so much uh, the people that I just referenced that grew up in places that were not taught about the Holy Spirit because in people that I've encountered, excuse me, 
in people that I've encountered that um, have no frame of reference about the Holy Spirit or were taught that it wasn't for today, these gifts, uh, when I converse with them or visit with them, they're very open to the truth. They're very open to the understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so I actually enjoy uh, visiting with people that have no frame of reference about the Holy Spirit. It's almost like a kid in a candy store type of thing. It's like they're for the first time hearing this. The problem when we talk about the Holy Spirit is for those of us that grew up with a frame of reference, that grew up in churches that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that taught in the power of the Holy Spirit, because for some of us, we have put these parameters around God based on our experiences in the past, and now God has to do it a certain way, and uh, we, we kind of think that the Holy Spirit and everyone else has to fit within our frame of reference, and sometimes we hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit, not because of what the Word teaches, but because of what we believe that isn't necessarily what the Word teaches. We try to force ourselves into it. And so in the body of Christ, we have this great divide. We have on this side one group of people that uh, because of the emotionalism and because of the misuse of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they don't want anything to do with it. Uh, we just need the word of God. We don't need the emotionalism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, just give me the word. And the other side, on this extreme over here, uh, which literally feeds the fear of this side, is this group and their wild excess of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they literally have turned the, the Holy Spirit into kind of a carnival-type sideshow. And they've, they've made a mockery of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we've got these two extremes of the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is kind of caught somewhere in the middle. The, the carnival of chaos and the group that says, we don't want the emotionalism of it, we just want the word. But to say, we just want the word, uh, there's a problem with that. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the writing of the word. And the word that we claim to want to cling to teaches a lot about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so to say that we're going to just have the word without the spirit really doesn't work. Because he's the author of the word and he's in the word. And so we've got to come to an understanding of the, the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. In the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's one of those things that we're just not impressed by. We've become so familiar with a statement like that, the creator God of the universe in his entirety dwells in us. He has chosen to make his dwelling in us by his spirit. That ought to make a huge difference. I think scripture shows us it makes a difference. And so if it's not making a difference in our lives, I would wonder if we're fully understanding what it is. You and I are the dwelling place of God. Now, from the outset of this conversation, I want to remind you that the cross and Christ stand at the center of Christianity. Some people have tried to make the Holy Spirit the center of Christianity. But if the Holy Spirit is the, the center of your religion... You're not a Christian because Christianity at its center has Christ. 
And Jesus himself, when he taught about the Holy Spirit, said that the Holy Spirit is not going to teach about himself. He's not going to draw attention to himself. He's not going to come and, and teach what he wants. He's going to put the spotlight on Jesus. He's going to make Jesus real to us. He's going to teach us the things of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we start this conversation on being the dwelling place of God or the work of the Holy Spirit, being his temple, we're going to look at what Jesus taught in John chapter 16. Because in this passage of scripture, John chapter 16, this is the context. Jesus has been on earth with his disciples. He's been here for 33 years, but he's been with them about three years and he's been teaching them, he's been training them, he's been helping them, and he knows that his time on earth is about to come to an end. Now, as he's preparing for that, he's giving them in these three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, some last minute instructions, if you will, to prepare them for his going away. He starts in John chapter 16, verse one, with these words. <clears throat> I have told you these things, so you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service to God. <clears throat> Stop. When Jesus starts by saying, I'm telling you these things so you won't abandon your faith, you got to understand that something is about to happen that would cause you to want to abandon your faith. And then he comes up with this statement, when they kill you, not if they kill you, when? So why are we stunned by the, 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 the things that are taking place in our day? We ought not be stunned. What we ought not to do is abandon our faith. And we ought to pay attention to what's about to follow because this is starting to take place more and more prevalently in our day. There has never been a time in church history when people were not being martyred for their faith. It's been happening for years. We just didn't know about it. We didn't hear about it. It wasn't reported and put on YouTube 5,000 times in a day. And so now that it's being brought to the forefront, everyone's concerned about it, but Jesus said it was gonna happen. And in fact, it's been happening since he left. This is because they've never known the Father or me. I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you a little while longer. I didn't need to warn you because I was going to be here. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. In other words, you can't get over the fact that I'm leaving. You can't get past your emotion of the moment, if you will, to understand the spiritual things that I'm telling you. Don't fear what is happening. Don't let your emotions get all worked up. Understand, I'm leaving you what you need for this moment. In, in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. That word advocate in this passage is the Greek word paraclete. That word paraclete means comforter, encourager, advocate, counselor. That's literally what it means. It's used in reference to the Holy Spirit a lot in the New Testament. That is what he is. He is our comforter. He is our encourager. He is our advocate. He is our counselor. He's our guide. He's our help. He's our coach. He's our teacher. He's our trainer. 
He is all of those things wrapped up into one. And so let's skip down to verse 12. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So here we see it. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify, reveal, and exalt Jesus. It's not about promoting himself. And here's what Jesus said about the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the best thing. Just yesterday, I read on someone's Facebook page, um, this, man, I wish it, I was alive it, when Jesus was alive. To have him teach me face to face would be so awesome. And I understand the point of that, but what Jesus is saying to that statement is, no, 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 don't wish for that because you live in a time that is now best. The time when Jesus walked on the earth and where was able to teach us face to face was not the best time to be alive. We live in the best time to be alive. That's what Jesus taught in this passage. But the, the sad thing is, is all across our country and all across Europe and all across these places where the church was birthed, we have church buildings that stand empty. Some of them have become museums. Some of them have become monuments. And what has taken place is the, the, the spirit that was once alive in that building, the momentum that was once in that building that brought in the resources and brought in the need to build a building uh, has kind of left. And now these buildings stand empty. And the one person that can bring life and hope to each individual, the one person that can bring life and hope into the church is, is kind of just gone. And sometimes the activity still stays there. The human activity is there. But the life of the Spirit is gone. And it's like we're too afraid to just say it. Where's the life of the Spirit? Things ought not to be this way. In 1900, there was a group of students in Topeka, Kansas, that read the Word of God and said, you know what, the book of Acts looks so different than our day. And they thought that the power of the Holy Spirit was lacking in their lives. And they began to seek for days, for days. They shut down their classes in this Bible school. They prayed through the night because they said, we want this thing. We want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that will transform our lives. And the power of the Holy Spirit came to that Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, because a group of students said, I want this more than I want anything else, because I recognize the powerlessness to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God responded to that group of students. And the thing is, is God still responds to hungry people. The problem is for sometimes we're just so content to just, you know, come into the church service and go through the motions and just be good Christians and just try to do our best to be good moral people. But we can't. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. We could have Jesus here physically teaching us today, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't make a difference in our world. Jesus says, this is best. This is what he tells his disciples. Now, I want us to put ourselves in these disciples' shoes for just a second. Huh? This is what? This is 
This is best. Do you think this is best that you're, you're going where? You're leaving when? How is this better? I mean, you've got to understand these disciples, they've left everything. They've left everything that is familiar to them. They've left their families. They've left their jobs. They've left their nets. They've left their carpentry jobs. They've left their task collecting positions. They've left everything because they bought into Jesus' vision. Jesus comes along and says, hey, if you follow me, you're going to change the world. And they bought into that. They believed that Jesus was more than a human. They believed that he was the son of God. They believed he was about to set up a kingdom on the earth, a governmental structure, and they were going to have seats of authority in that. That's what's in their mind. What are you talking about? It's better. How can it be better? We've left everything to follow you because we bought into this vision and now you said you're going to leave and now you're saying that's better for us? How's that better? We talked in Sunday school this morning that sometimes we think that the second coming of Jesus would be better for us. I mean, it would bring peace on the earth. But here's the thing. The power of, of peace lives inside of us. And if we would start in our individual one-on-one relationships, beginning to release the power of peace on the inside of us, we could bring peace. We sang a song today that didn't say, Jesus, you are the hope of the earth. It said the church is the hope on the earth. Not in and of ourselves, but because the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are the hope of the world. Amen. And for the five of you that are excited about it, praise God. Jesus was their leader, he was their teacher, he was their friend, they had done life with him, they watched him raise the dead, they watched him open the deaf ears, they watched him open the eyes of the blind, they're expecting him to do all of this, and he says, I'm leaving and it's better. Why? Because Jesus came for that reason. He came for the cross, and he accomplished on the cross everything that he came to do. He was the substitute in God's justice system for us. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And now it's time for him to go away because of all that Jesus did accomplish, there is something that Jesus could not do when he was on the earth in the flesh. Jesus, when he was on the earth as a human being, was limited to being an external influence on the people around him. Being an external influence is not enough. He could teach him. He could, they could hear his voice. They could see his expression. They could touch him. They could feel him. But what he could never do is get inside of them where the real problem lies. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. The real problem of mankind is deep within us. And Jesus, as an external influence, can do nothing about that. That's why he sent the Spirit to live inside of us so that he could work from the inside out. The, 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 the scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says this. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. The Bible describes Christianity this way. Putting faith in Jesus Christ 
to the point that the Holy Spirit then takes residence in us and we become a new person. We become born again, as the Bible says, and now the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our lives. When we confess him as Lord, when we surrender Him, our lives to him, the Holy Spirit comes and he, make, he takes up residence in us and he begins to make the life of Christ real to us. He teaches us the realness of Jesus Christ. He makes the presence of Jesus real to us. He, he helps us to understand the word. When you feel the presence of God, that's the Holy Spirit making him real to you. That is not Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, making intercession for us. The Holy Spirit's making him real to us. When you read the scripture and all of a sudden it makes sense to you and you're like, wow, that's what that's saying. That's the Holy Spirit making that real to you. He is the only way that transformation can happen. And in, in churches today, too often we're, we're treating him like the uncle that nobody wants to talk about. You know, crazy Uncle Jed in the family. That, uh, you know, whenever he comes, it's, the holidays are never quite the same. And we've allowed that fear to creep in and we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. But everything we read in the New Testament centers around the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the New Testament believer. Everything. When he came, it changed everything. We have no greater example than that than the Apostle Peter. I mean, how many of you love Peter? He was brash. He was rude. He was stick your foot in your mouth. He was talk first, think second. He had some, I mean, he had some amazing potential, but he had a whole lot of rough edges. And the apostle Peter was in this conversation that the disciples had about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember, Jesus is going to set up this earthly kingdom, and they're arguing about who's going to have the best seat of authority. Who's going to be second in command? Who's going to be third? Who's going to be here? Who's going to be there? This is the argument that what's going on? And then, in the hour when Jesus needs them the most, every single one of them abandon him. And in that moment, we're forced to ask the question, what happened there? I mean, they have been with Jesus day and night for three years. I mean, maybe they didn't have a good enough teacher. No, I don't think that's it. They had Jesus. I mean, maybe they weren't really being fed the word of God. I mean, that's an excuse we use a lot today. Had to leave that church, wasn't really being fed the word of God. No, that can't be it. Jesus was their pastor, and you don't get much better than that, right? And so, what happened? Did they not have a good mentor? Did they not have a good role model? No, they had it all. But when the pressure comes, they all failed him. Why? When the pressure came, what happened to all that discipleship? What happened to all that mentoring? What happened to all that teaching? What happened to all that stuff that they got? You know what that tells us? That no external influence, no outward teaching can replace the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself could sit in this stool Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and teach us and we would not be any better off than the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's supposed to be that big of a game changer. There are so many Christians today that study and study, people that even have four degrees of theology 
but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their daily lives. I mean, there are people that have studied the Word so much, they can argue with anybody about any doctrine or anything, but the power of the Holy Spirit isn't working in their daily lives. They don't have any victory over anything. It's good for us to, to, to increase our intellect. It's good for us to make ourselves more educated when it comes to the things of this world, when it comes to the things of the Scripture. But without the Spirit of God, all that education isn't going to help us. We have got to rely on the Holy Spirit. When you look at Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, that's a different guy. That's a different guy than just couldn't stand up to the poor slave girl around the campfire just a few weeks ago. What made the difference? You think he just got a shot in the arm because, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty cool. They watched Lazarus be raised from the dead. Why wasn't that enough? No, it was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life that made the change. And if you watch him through the book of Acts and you watch him mature and you watch him grow through the power of the Holy Spirit and you watch as he, throughout church history, comes to the end of his life and he is literally crucified upside down on a cross because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And you and I can't even stub our toe without walking away from the faith. You catching this? There was a power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives that is foreign to many in the body of Christ today. And we, 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 we use this one verse from Scripture and we're going to put that into context in a bit that says, well, that's just not for today. That was for the apostles. Hogwash hooey. That's not what that's saying. That passage of clear, Scripture is clearly referring to the time when Jesus Christ comes and everything is revealed and made known and the perfect comes. The perfect is not this book because if this book alone was the perfect, then every church on this earth would be in unity. And yet there's disagreement. When Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, when the perfection comes, there won't be need for prophecy. There won't be need for tongues. Why? Because we'll all be in unity because he'll be here. And everything will be made sight. It does an injustice to the text to make it mean this book. As great as this book is and as perfect as this book is, it's not the perfection Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the reason that we have a weak, anemic, powerless church is we won't embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Amen. Jesus said it was going to be best. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? I mean, if that doesn't cause you to be excited, maybe you're not alive. I mean, you're, you don't have to jump or shout, but you ought to be like, thank you, Jesus, that I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I can keep my eyes above the waves. The power of God is living. To understand the full significance of this, let's rewind. When God created the earth, he created this thing called Eden. It was a garden. And in it, he had intimate fellowship with a guy and a girl named Adam and Eve. They experienced God in his complete, complete glory. I mean, they had fellowship with him that no one else ever has had fellowship. 
Then sin entered the picture and broke that. And the rest of the scripture is this narrative of this holy God longing to be with us and trying to, if you will, figure out how to get his presence among us. How does a holy God dwell among sinful people? And we know that he knew the end from the beginning, but the scripture is like this great drama of trial and error, if you will. And he tells them in the Old Testament, he's like, build a tent, the tent of meeting, and I'm going to come, and my glory is going to dwell in a tent. Think of it, the glory of the Almighty God dwelling in a tent. I hate camping. I can't imagine. I don't even like my glory to be in a tent. Now, we know it wasn't his full glory because of sin. It had to be kind of a reserved, hold back kind of glory because if he would have came in his full glory, everything with sin would have been boop. But it it dwells in a tent. And then God comes along and he says, you know what? You're going to mature and you're no longer going to be a wandering people. I want you to build a permanent structure. And he says, build the temple. And his glory comes to the temple. Read the Old Testament. His glory comes so powerfully in the temple that the priests can't even stand up. They can't even perform their duties. And then we come along into the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word becomes human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That Word made His home is literally the Word tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among us. He became the dwelling place of God on earth. So a little bit of Eden, a little bit of the tent, a little bit of the temple is now dwelling on earth. And then Paul comes along and says, Jesus says, I'm going to go away because if I'm here, the, the glory of God is in me, but I want the glory of God to be in you. I don't want the glory of God to be trapped inside a 33-year-old person's body. I want the glory of God in government. I want the glory of God in politics. I want the glory of God in your school. I want the glory of God in hospitals. I want the glory of God in business. I want the glory of God everywhere you are. I want it to be in Africa, and I want it to be in Asia, and I want it to be in Europe, and I want it to be in Huron, South Dakota, and as long as I'm here, it's trapped in me, but if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit, and He's going to live in you. And so the very presence of God goes everywhere we go. That ought to be exciting. Monday mornings should not be a downer for us. They ought to be exciting. I'm about to go out into this world as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, yeah, Monday mornings are a drag. Tuesday mornings are a drag. Can't wait till Friday. Why? Because we don't embrace this idea that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We've become so familiar with it. It doesn't make a difference in our daily lives. Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid that too many Christians have made Christianity just about the cross. Yeah, it's the center of Christianity. But we're teaching people about a cross and about forgiveness, but we're not giving them resurrection power to live it out in their daily lives. And so as a consequence, people are going around feeling guilty that they can't measure up to the cross, but they're not tapping into the power of the Spirit that's supposed to make the cross a reality in their daily lives. 
We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to this earth and he shed his blood on that cross to forgive me of my sin. And he's promised me that he has taken my sin and he has separated it as far as the east is from the west. It's forgotten and it's no more. But there's a, a great big problem. Even though I've been forgiven of all my sin and the account has been washed clean completely, there's still one huge problem. Me. The same guy that got into the mess at the beginning, the same guy that got into all of this problem is still here. His forgiveness isn't doing anything about that. I need the power of the Spirit to set me free from the law of sin and death. Or I'm going to keep getting into the same mess that I got into before. I don't want to just be forgiven, I want to overcome. And not just the, the sins of the world, the good sins of gossip and disobedience. The good sins of slander. The good sins of dishonoring one another. I want to do away with those too. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, you look at the commandment, the law was given on tablets of stone. Man, those laws were carved. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was this whole thing. And did those laws carved on stone, did it give the people power to overcome? No, it didn't. Were those laws true? Yeah. But it didn't give them power to overcome. The power of the Holy Spirit is needed in our lives and it's got to be accessed by us on a regular basis. <clears throat> the message of the cross is forgiveness. The message of the resurrection is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to make the cross a daily reality in my life. And I'm afraid that the American church, because of the excess of some, has lost hope in the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are His dwelling place. He has come to take up residence inside of us. Let, let me show you one last scripture from Luke chapter 11. Jesus is speaking, teaching on prayer, and he says, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, he's telling a story about a guy that needs bread for some friends that just came to visit him. So he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on the door. And the friend's like, don't bother me, I'm in bed, 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 uh, go away. But the guy keeps knocking. Uh, he knows it's Mark Apple. And Mark's going to keep knocking until he gets the bread. He's that, I mean, that's the kind of persistence that Mark Apple has. And so when he knocks on your door at 1230 at night, you know the only way he's going away is giving bread. And so he gets up and he gives him bread. Am I right? You'd be knocking on that door until we gave you bread. And so he gets up and he gives him bread. I tell you this, he doesn't get up because he's his friend. Mark's my friend. But I didn't get out of bed at 1230 because he's my friend. I got out of bed because I know he's not going away until he gets the bread. And that's the bottom line. It doesn't change the fact that he's my friend. He's my friend, but I'm in bed. I'm tired. I'm not getting up to give you bread. Come back tomorrow. I tell you this. He doesn't give up and give him anything be just because of friendship's sake. But if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I keep telling you. I tell you this. Keep on asking. 
and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. You're going to find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And then he starts talking about, you know, if your kids ask for something, are you going to give them this? Are you going to give them that? Are you going to give them this? No, you're going to give them good gifts. And if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, we make this passage about, you know, I need something, so I'm going to ask for it, and then I'm, I'm going to get it. But God's like, no, this is a walk, this is a journey, this is a dialogue. And as you ask me for the things you need, every day of your life, I'm going to give more of my spirit. You're going to activate more of the spirit in your life. But if you're lazy, you don't keep asking, you don't keep knocking, you're not going to understand the spirit. It's like a house guest coming into your house, and you don't even talk to them. How many of us would invite someone to come and live at our house? Hey, hey, you need a place to stay. We got a spare room. Come on over. And we wouldn't show them where the room was. I mean, we wouldn't show them where the bath towels are. We wouldn't show them the refrigerator. We would. I mean, we, some, some of us go to greater lengths to make people feel welcome in our home than we do the Holy Spirit welcome in our lives. And we think that if, as long as I show up at church on Sunday morning or if I, as long as I go through my devotion, no, you gotta ask him. You want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you gotta ask. And you can't ask with this, well, you know, I'd really like the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and so if, if it's not too much trouble, go ahead and do it. But, you know, if not, I'll just go ahead and keep living the way I'm living. And it's the kind of Topeka, Kansas moment where we say, God, we can't live this way anymore. This isn't enough anymore. I mean, there are people at my door daily that need bread, and I got nothing to give them. I don't have enough bread in me to give them. And so I'm going to knock on your door because I need the bread of life to give them. But as long as we're content, you know, just to have activity, nobody gets bread. And hungry people line up outside the church's door begging for it. Meanwhile, the church, there's no bread in the house. Because we're content to just show up on Sunday. We're content to have the Holy Spirit so He can forgive us. And when we make mistakes, we can just confess and He'll forgive us. Thank God for that. But at some point, I want to stop letting disobedience and gossip in the door. At some point, I want to recognize it before they're in the house and before Jesus is out. Not just because I need it, but because my family needs it. But because my neighbors need it. Because my coworkers need it. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us clearly that when we receive Christ, He comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit enters. At that moment, he does not come into our lives in just one chunk and then, you know, after so many years of obedience, you get another chunk and after so many years of faithfulness, you get another chunk. You get the Holy Spirit the moment you surrender your life to Christ. So if you're sitting here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, half of what I'm saying is probably like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what? You need to surrender your life to Christ. I didn't say you need to go to church. I didn't say you need to get your name on the membership roster. I didn't say you need to be a Christian in name. I said you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to put confidence in his work on the cross and nail your own life to that cross. Because you can sit in a church for 50 years and never have surrendered your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit doesn't take residence inside of you. 
And so most of what you hear from up here, from pastor after pastor after pastor, kind of goes in one ear and out the other because there's no Holy Spirit at work in your life. It comes when we surrender. But here's the thing. Once we surrender and once he moves in, we've got to start fellowshipping with him. He can't be the house guest that we just, you know, open the door and say, hey, come on in, but, you know, just do whatever. We got to show him around. We got to show him where the bath towels are. We got to have a communication system with him. We got to be developing an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit so that his power can flow out of us. And here's the thing, as it flows out of us, it gives us what we need. I mean, some of us are at this altar saying, God, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need. He's like, I'm gonna provide that for you as I flow out of you to somebody else. And the reason that sometimes we don't get what we need is because we won't release what he's given. It's a development, it's a process of developing intimacy with the Holy Spirit. For those of of us that have grown up in Pentecostal circles, let me say to you today, we need to present the Lord a blank canvas, if you will. Some of us present him a picture of what a a movement of the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like, and we're like, Lord, here you go, um, color that in. And we wonder why he's not coloring Uh, because he's like, I'm not gonna do it the way you think I'm gonna do it or the way you even think I'm gonna should do it. He's always gonna abide by the parameters he set for himself in his word, but he's not gonna follow our parameters. And so if you wanna draw little neat lines and say, God, uh, you know, I'm gonna give you this part, God's like, you know what, give me a blank canvas and let me draw my own picture and color that in. And so for those of us that have grown up thinking, you know, in order for the Holy Spirit to move, we've got to sing, come Holy Spirit, I need thee, seven times. I mean, we, we get into this, this thing that, you know, this is how it's got to happen. No, it, it can't happen that way. It doesn't have to happen that way. Because tomorrow, the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir isn't coming with me wherever I go. And so we can't break out into chorus in the middle of a store so that the Holy Spirit can flow out of me. We gotta give him a blank canvas. For those of you that are here that, that uh, watch a lot of TBN and you think that it, there's just a lot of circus and chaos on there, there probably is. I don't watch a lot of TBN so I don't really know, but I'm assuming there is. Uh, I've seen some things in my life that uh, are weird. But here's the thing. I have heard testimonies from people I trust that have had a genuine biblical encounter with God through the ministry of somebody that's a little hooky. That's it. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't quite know what to do with that. Does that mean that we, no, I don't think we should turn this into a circus. I don't think that we should do whatever we wanna do in the freedom, and we're gonna talk about freedom and restraint in one of these weeks. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is not just a, you know, do whatever I feel like doing card. There's a responsibility that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to act responsibly so I don't offend people on purpose. And we've kind of thrown that off at times. And so if you have looked at that and said, because of the the fear or because of the emotionalism of it, you know, I'm just gonna stay in my safe little box, I'm gonna challenge you to step outside of your safe little box and stop saying, God, as long as you don't 
ask me to step here, as long as you don't ask me to step there, and just let God begin to reveal to you through His Word what it means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. My prayer during this series is for each of us to walk in greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit. To know Him, to understand Him, to fellowship with Him, to walk with Him in our daily lives. It's my desire that as a church, we would experience a fresh, genuine, biblical, tailor-made encounter with the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. That not only transforms our lives, but transforms this city. That's my desire, and that's what I want us to walk through. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close this morning. Father, I thank you today first and foremost that while we were your enemies, you set into motion a plan to live in us. God, while we were sinful, unworthy, rebellious, dirty, at our worst, you set into motion a plan to come by your Spirit and live inside of us. When you would have been completely justified to just wipe us out, to start again, to build a new heaven and a new earth, you chose to sacrifice yourself to bring us forgiveness. And you didn't stop there, but you sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that the power of the cross could be a reality in our daily lives. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being so familiar with the phrase, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that it ceased to change our lives. Forgive us for allowing the Holy Spirit into our lives at salvation, but yet ignoring Him in our day-to-day lives. Forgive us for allowing excesses or fear to keep us from walking in intimate fellowship with Your Holy Spirit. Father, we need a fresh relationship with Your Spirit. We need a fresh encounter with Your Holy Spirit. God, it can't continue the way that it has before. Holy Spirit, forgive us for grieving you. Forgive us for grieving you by our fears, by our excesses, by our treatment of one another. Forgive us for quenching you. Forgive us for ignoring you. Forgive us for being so caught up and wrapped up in our own lives that we've neglected you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir within our hearts a fresh desire to walk with you, to talk with you, to experience the life that only you can bring, to make the cross a reality to us, 
to make the resurrection power of Jesus real to us. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. In these weeks ahead, fill our lives more than we've allowed you to fill them before. Give us that shameless persistence to pursue you. If you'll give me just one more moment, I want you to make this personal today. And so before I dismiss, I want you to make it personal. I want everyone to just keep your eyes closed. I want you to worry about you and the Lord right now. But if you're in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the scripture says that every one of us has broken the law of God and we're guilty. And because of that guilt, we deserve death and we deserve eternity separated from him in a place called hell. But because of what Christ did on the cross, he has given us new life. And the only way to accept that is to believe that Christ was our substitute, that he died on our behalf, and to surrender our lives to him. And if you've never done that, then the Holy Spirit has never taken up residence in you. And that's the place that you need to begin right now. And so if you're here today and that's never been your choice, that's never been what you've done, would you just slip up your hand right now and say, Lord, today I'm surrendering my life to you so that the Holy Spirit can take residence in me. Thank you. Anyone else? If you're in this room today and you have been afraid of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask again, if, if everyone would just close their eyes and give people the, the, just the respect to be able to respond to the Lord in a way, um, I just want it to be between them and the Lord. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've been afraid. I have not wanted the Holy Spirit to move in my life because of things that I've seen because of things that I believe he's going to ask me to do that I haven't wanted to do. And in fact, I'm going to close my eyes this morning because I want you to respond to the Lord because I believe we need to do this. You say, I've been afraid, but I need to take that fear off. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to take that fear off. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and just put it back down. Say, Lord, that's me. That's me. I've been afraid of the excesses. I've been afraid of the emotionalism. I've been afraid to dig into this. But over these next few weeks, I want you to come and I want you to, to show me what is truth. I want to open up every part of my life to you, whatever that looks like. And I'm pushing fear aside. Slip up your hand and put it back down. The last group is those, those of us that have grown up around this. And maybe you've been part of an excess. Maybe the Holy Spirit has even showed you today, hey, 
you've actually hindered me because of this mindset or because of this attitude or because of this part of your personality that you're just letting run wild. And you're actually turning people off to the moving of my spirit. And today you want to say, Lord, forgive me for ways that I've grieved you in that. Forgive me for ways that I've actually turned people off, not because of what your word says, but because of what my personality says. And over these next weeks, I want you to to recreate in me the proper mindset of how your spirit should operate in my life. If that's you, just slip up your hand and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And so, Father, today, we want to stand as blank slates before you. Holy Spirit, in these weeks ahead, we want you to build in us a home. We want to cultivate fresh and new a relationship of intimacy with you that transforms our lives, our body, and this city. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer this morning for something that you haven't had prayer for yet, uh, our prayer team will be here. I'll be here. I want to have, give you the opportunity to have that. Um, don't forget the lunch. We want to encourage everyone to stay for lunch today. Uh, that'll be served in the fellowship hall right away, so you can just make your way in there when you want to be dismissed. And so God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Talk to you.